Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Tread victoriously. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Forlow Magazine is a magazine for you. Forlow cannot be found in a storefront or on a bookshelf but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit ForlowMagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Russell Battles. Russell is a uh, rock crawling spotter. He is uh, from Western Colorado, Grand Junction area. And we're going to talk to Russell about off-road, his life, and uh, the sport of rock crawling. So Russell, thank you for coming on board. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Uh, it's an honor to be here on your show. So let's get jump right in with both feet. And uh, I guess you were born and raised there in uh, the Grand Junction area? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, born in Grand Junction, grew up in Palisade, uh, a little town just east of the, the big city, um, known for Palisade Peaches, and uh, lived there uh, my whole upbringing. So peaches and palisades. I thought Georgia was known for peaches. <laughs> yeah, most people think that, but uh until you've had a palisade peach, you you know, it'll change your mind. Uh I actually had a, a buddy who was a submariner and uh he called me from Pensacola, Florida and asked me if there was any way I could go down, buy a box of peaches and ship them to him so those people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Did you do it? I did. I did. I sent him a, a whole a whole crate of them. Great. I <laughs> hope he was I hope he was uh in port at that time when you shipped them so that uh the peaches were fresh when he got them. Oh, I'm I'm sure he got them fresh. We shipped them overnight, so Perfect. So tell me about growing up in uh, Grand Junction. Yeah, so uh you know, growing up in the Western Slope, um coming from a uh low-income family we didn't have a lot of options of things to do, but one thing my uh, my dad and, and my mom uh, really enjoyed doing was fishing. So we spent every weekend all through the spring and summer into the fall in the mountains, camping, fishing, just uh, hanging out. You know, fall season was all about hunting. And uh, I spent, you know, almost all my time out in the mountains just enjoying uh, everything there is in the mountains. Um, 
Grand Junction's uh, really unique in that uh, any direction you go, one hour any direction, you're in a different climate completely. You know, one hour south, you're in the San Juans. One hour west, you're in Moab. One hour north, you're in uh, Wyoming. One hour east, you're in uh, you're in Aspen. So you can really pick and choose based off time of year if you want to get out of the heat or or if uh, you want to play in the slick rocks or or in the the highest peaks in Colorado. Nice. So talk about going to school. You know what? You know I, I, if you went. If you're born and raised there and you spent most of your life there, you know, what was it, uh, what was school like? Oh, school was awesome. Um, I went to, uh, you know, all the local schools. I graduated from Palisade High School and, uh, you know, school was real, real good. You know, you might not know it by the looks of me now, but I was, uh, I was a big soccer player, played baseball too, but soccer is, uh, what I spent most of my time, uh, doing while i was in school um as far as sports go hey a lot um, of us have grown into our bodies okay yeah, don't worry it. about it <laughs> that's right um you know i uh, raced dirt bikes you know western colorado is uh well well known for uh dirt bike riding we have so much public land and the adobe's uh, going all the way out to price utah is all open country to ride and so uh, I, I grew up on a dirt bike um not always the best dirt bike, but I always had one. <laughs> That's and, what matters. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I just grew up riding and, and playing soccer. I actually had a uh, scholarship. I was going to go play soccer at Fort Lewis College in Durango. Um, but, uh, you know, a little bit of a tragedy happened um, when I was a senior in high school is when 9-11 happened. Right. And uh, rather than go to school i chose to join the army instead and uh you know i thought i'd go back to school and just never did <laughs> well thank you for your service i uh, appreciate it so then uh, what kind of let's see one of the questions i ask is were you athletic were you studious or did you do your own thing now you said you played some sports but how were you as a student? Um, as a student, I was uh, I was a real good student when I was in class. I guess we'll leave it there. <laughs> I uh, once that bell rang, once I walked out the door, I didn't think about school uh, again. Um, you know, I I was somewhere in the middle as far as GPA goes and getting stuff done. I was a uh, I really excelled in math. So I was taking pretty high-level math classes, but uh, I don't know that I can still write a complete sentence or, uh, or, or, or really, if I've ever read an entire book. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> but, but uh, I was a big sports guy. Like I said, um, summers was dirt biking, and and uh, the rest of the year was pretty much soccer and baseball. Okay, and then what was the uh, you had dirt bike? What was the first four-wheel drive vehicle that you got to drive? Well, so uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, my dad uh, did some work. My dad was an auto body. Did some work for a guy in trade for a 1974 International Scout II. Nice. 
And my dad and I spent a couple years getting it running. Uh, we took the 345 out, put a small block Chevy in it, and um, nothing crazy. Open front diffs, 33s, just a nice little rig. And uh, when I was 14, um, had it for a couple years. Uh, my buddy down the street and I decided we were going to go joyriding in it. And uh, Without dad's permission. Yeah, without dad's permission, uh, <laughs> middle of the night, may or may not have been arrested spinning donuts in the football field. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, uh, the scout went down the road and I wasn't allowed anywhere near a car for a while. But, was that uh, your parents' choice of you not having a car was, for a while? Or was that, that was law my dad's enforcement? Okay. Right. Yeah, that was definitely my dad's choice. He uh, said I, I I wasn't responsible enough to have it there, and he wasn't giving me my first car. So, so that was my first uh, my first vehicle, I guess you could say, and it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. Um, do you regret doing those donuts? I do, I do, I do. But you had fun while uh, you were doing them. Oh, it was uh, it was a it was a good few hours for sure. <laughs> but uh, when I turned sixteen, Dad did. True to his word, he didn't uh, get me a vehicle. Um, so in a roundabout way, I guess he did, because I traded my uh, I had an RM125 dirt bike. I traded it for a 1984 full-size Bronco, and that's what I drove through high school with the wow. 300 straight six MP435, and I uh, beat the crap out of it. <laughs> so you you somebody traded you your motorcycle for a full-size Bronco? They did. You wouldn't have that these days, but no. uh, back then, you know, those, those uh, especially the 80s Broncos, I mean, people give them away almost. They were just not worth anything. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I got that thing and I drove it all the way through high school. Um, in fact, I just sold it a couple years ago to uh, to a fellow Wheeler uh, for his son. Nice. And so. But uh, over the years, it had gone through a lot of changes. It ended up with a, a big block 460, and and I'd solid axle swapped it with tons, and so yeah, just a lot of different different things happened to it. But I I I beat her up pretty good, and that was that was really the first vehicle that I went off roading in. Mostly mostly mud. You know, we ditch school and go out in, in the desert and play in the mud and thought it was really cool if we could pull up on a you know two foot rock with one tire you know get out take the pictures <laughs> posing yeah at least it wasn't in a parking lot or on a football field <laughs> that's right and then uh a little bit later i guess when i was about uh about 18 i guess i um as a lot of us rock crawlers uh all started with toyotas i know they're your favorite with the, the super low gearing and <laughs> everything. But, but, uh, yeah, I got a, I got a 84 four runner, first gen four runner. And, uh, after that I was hooked in rock crawling. I, uh, just absolutely loved it. Uh, a friend of mine, Eric Lozier, uh, I was working with him at the time. He's like, why don't you bring this thing out? We're going to go do 21 road. And uh, I got out there, completely exploded everything. But uh, 
I was hooked. That was it. I had to conquer 21 Road. That was the goal. You still so, had the Bronco, so you weren't you weren't vehicleless, right? Yeah, no. Uh, the Forerunner was a straight wheeling rig, um, chopped up, not even road worthy at all. <laughs> so it was the it was the I would say uh, the typical Toyota uh that you see bashed up every fender and everything bashed up that was that was my rig okay <laughs> so then what kind of work did you do to the toyota after you uh destroyed it on the first your first time out on 21 yeah so uh i went to the army and it kind of sat for a while okay uh, i didn't really do much to it when i got back um I had a little money sitting in the bank as, as you would have from time to time. So, uh, it was a phone call out to Marlon Crawler and, uh, you know, double T cases, four sevens. I kept the Toyota axles, you know, but five twenty nines link, uh, the, uh, lunchbox lockers and, and left it leaf sprung for a long time. Uh, eventually I did, uh, go to three link front, four link rear coilovers did a turbocharged LC engineering, uh, 22RE, uh, RET. And, uh, yeah, just railed on it for a really long time. And it actually, uh, helped me, uh, really start off in the rock crawling world. Cause, uh, by doing that and meeting people, I found this niche of, should I say Toyota guys that didn't have fabrication skills and, or really want to, I guess, but, um, I ended up starting a company here in Grand Junction. It was Rock Solid Motorsports, and that's what we did. We built Toyotas. That was that was pretty much all we worked on was Toyotas. And you called, and it was Rock Solid. Yeah, Rock Solid Motorsports. Nice. And uh, we were open for a few years. I, I quickly found out that uh, running your own business is a, a ton of work. Um, you don't get paid. The shop gets paid. Yeah. And uh, I also found out Toyota guys are cheap, and they don't <laughs> want to pay for anything. So. <laughs> That's why they're driving Toyotas. That's why they're driving Toyotas. Now I'm going to get a bunch of hate letters from uh, or hate <laughs> messages from Toyota guys that have a lot more money than I do. <laughs> they just and, never grew uh, up and got and knew better. <laughs> hey, you know I. I uh, I actually just bought last year. I bought my first Forerunner. I bought it back from the guy I sold it to. Really? So it's uh, sitting in my driveway right now. Uh, I actually paid a friend of mine. I bought a, a donor body, and I paid a friend of mine uh, to swap the body out. So it's got a brand new, used, clean, eighty-five Forerunner body on it now, and uh, I'm gonna make it a. Nice little rig, and I'm going to give it to my son when he's ready to drive. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's talk about your military days. Um, yeah. What service did you go into? You said Army? Yeah, yeah. I was in the uh, Army. Uh, field artillery. Field artillery. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, for about the first 10 minutes, and then uh, <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just lobbing more rounds. <laughs> Uh, again, like I said, I, I didn't have, uh, much upbringing, uh, from 
parental advisors, should I say. And uh, so when I went went in, I just walked in and said, hey, I want to join the Army. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? I, like, I don't know. What can I do? <laughs> you know, had I known, and this is what I tell all the young guys and, and girls going in, know exactly what you want and don't let them tell you you can't because they those recruiters are going to fill slots that they have open that they need personnel for and they're just waiting for an, a person with no with an unknown future just to walk in so they could fill those slots and uh so so when i went in had i known i would have definitely chose something that converts to the civilian world you know it computer programming or or construction or, or just some, something that would have transferred a medic you know but uh, they gave me two options uh for slots they had to fill it was uh uh truck driver or uh field artillery and i told myself i was like well i didn't join the army to drive trucks i can do that on some, you know <laughs> and so uh so i joined field artillery and uh it was quick maybe like Two months later, month and a half later, I was in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So, and that was uh, boot camp. Yeah, I did boot camp and AIT both at the the same place there, and I was actually stationed there for my first duty station. And then you did four years. Yeah, I actually uh, did. I did four years on paper, but re- realistically, it was three years. I did what they called the delayed entry program. Okay. So after my junior year of high school, I went to basic training and then I came back, did my high school year of, of high school. And during that time I was doing uh, once a month with the army reserves locally. And then when I graduated, I was on a plane back to Fort Sill to do AIT and that whole year of high school counted as my first year of service. Well, that seems like a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty good. Huh. Not to mention, I was in really good shape going into my soccer season on a senior year. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, so uh, yeah, on paper it says four years. But really, uh, from what I did, was it was three years. So you don't find a need for field artillery work? Yeah, you know, I got out and I I started shopping for jobs and I just, they just weren't there. Uh, Yeah, it seems like it's a very lucrative. uh, Google search, you know, jobs (laughs) in field artillery. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I I got pretty lucky uh, when I did get out. You know, like I said, I was doing the the rock solid motorsports. Wasn't making a ton of money there and uh, my dad was working for this uh, he was doing some sandblasting for this oil field company and they needed a welder and uh, just like any good welder I lied on my resume about what I could do (laughs) (laughs) and they threw me right into the right into the show and I learned real quick that uh, I was a little in over my head but uh, they hired me on and I worked in the oil field uh, all the way up until this last this last summer, uh, nineteen almost nineteen years, um, worked all over the world uh, as a uh, mechanic, a mechanic and a superintendent. Um, 
for an oil company and uh it was it was really good to me and i got to experience a lot uh traveled all over the world and lived in multiple countries and uh it was uh it was it was pretty wild so kind of list the some of the countries that you were in yeah uh so um bahrain tunisia uh I went to Oman. Uh, I spent most all my time in the oil field uh, abroad was in Abu Dhabi. So I did about five years in Abu Dhabi. Um, and then, uh, you know, it was just a really unique situation over there. We were uh, doing something that had never been done in the world before. Um, all the gas in their country is sour and by sour i mean it's poisonous as h2s in it um when we encounter h2s in the united states we flare it off we burn it because well, out all the stuff that we see burning yeah so, uh, most of it okay and it becomes so2 which is actually worse but it, it it's it evaporates it goes it dissipates real quick h2s settles on the ground it's heavier than air and you're talking parts per million to kill someone. I mean, it's wow. it's very, very potent. Um, so Abu Dhabi burns oil. So does uh, Dubai, Sharjah uh, to power their to power their cities. Well, oil is uh, it's dirty to to create power with. It takes more than gas to create the equal amount of power. And so uh, what they did over there is they're wanting to stop cutting into their margins. Their only export is oil. So every time they're burning oil to power, they're losing revenue. Right. Also, this uh, Swedish company came up with this uh, uh, a plant. Um, it's a scrubbing unit. They can take the sour gas through the scrubbing unit, have clean gas to power the country on the other side, and the byproduct is sulfur. Hmm. And so now Abu Dhabi is one of the leading producers of sulfur in the world, and they're not burning their oil, which is their revenue, to power the country. They have clean gas to do it. Um, so we were actually drilling for H2S gas, like 26,000 parts per million. And uh, mind you, it only takes 50 parts per million to kill you. So it was uh, a joint effort by a lot of different uh, nationalities. And uh, I think at one time we counted like 40 languages on wow. one location. <laughs> How is so, that to work with people that are all speaking different languages? Um. It can be frustrating. Uh, I learned a little bit in the military. I encountered a little bit, but you're so cocky and young when you're in the military. It's it is different. But what I realized real quick is is Americans. Uh, it's we do everything right. It's our way. This is how it's done. Why are you not doing it our way? Right. Right. I get you. And. And uh, you you learn over there that uh, they might not do it the same way, um, but, it's but they get wrong. the same result, and right. it's not wrong. And I've seen so many guys that would come from the oil fields here and go there, and they, they didn't last long because they just couldn't wrap that around 
so I feel like uh, being able to work in these other countries and and with uh, all kinds of different people, I feel way more cultured, and I I feel like I have a better understanding uh, of the world, really. But uh, in particular, the guys I worked with, just of how things work, and and um, it really opened my eyes over there, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It's interesting. You know, my son worked up in Alaska, the North Slope, and he ran a shop up there, a construction company. And there was a – he could almost tell you where guys were from, not by their accent, but by their attitudes when they'd come up to work on the North Slope. Yeah. They were out of Texas, Oklahoma, you know, wherever, where they had – what other – Areas they had worked oil, just right. because of their, you know, their holier than thou, than everybody else uh, attitude. It was it, he 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 cracked me up a lot when he was telling me those things. But I yeah, it. it is. It's funny because you you know you do you uh, the oil field's tight knit. It's the same people chasing the money all over the world. There's a I, I go to any oil field in the country right now, and I probably know a couple dozen people. You know, it's the same people. They just move in and chasing the money all over. And uh, but it is it's funny. You catch an accent here and there or or the one that always caught me that I could always tell is uh, what they're eating. You just look at what they're eating. It gives you a pretty good indication of yep. where they're from. There you go. <laughs> True. OK. So then you said you uh, I know that you were working in the oil fields Um but you said you just – you're not working in the oil fields now? No, no. Um, so I was a superintendent, mechanical superintendent in uh, West Texas for the last uh, almost five years of my oil field career. And uh, I still had my house up here in, in Colorado. But the, uh, the big thing that changed is uh, I'm getting a late start in life, you know, but uh, – I got married um, this just after I went to Texas. I got married, and uh, the little baby came, my son Lyka, and uh, you know it got to the point where uh, I just wasn't home. I was here, I was there, and uh, we had made a decision that West Texas isn't where we wanted to raise our family, and uh, so we sold our house in Texas moved back to Colorado and uh, I took a job with the Bureau of Reclamation at a hydroelectric plant uh, about six miles from my house here. Nice. And uh, it was just an opportunity. I felt like it was my time to be home, be with my family more um, and still make a decent living with good insurance. And so I, I, yeah, (laughs) I took a huge pay cut quit my my career which uh i could tell you was scary um didn't really know where where it was going to take me or or where i was going but uh i did it (laughs) and so it's uh in august will be one year at the bureau um i work four tens i'm home every night and uh, I have a little girl now that's two and a half months old, and uh, it's just uh, 
it's awesome just being home with my family every night and you know yeah not a young guy (laughs) so right but uh but i sure i sure enjoy it and i and i'm glad that i got to go uh i gotta go live life and and see the world um before i had kids because you know kids become your world correct and uh i'm just uh i'm just really enjoying that now so uh so the Bureau of Reclamation is that that's a civil service job, your government employee, or yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, federal. It falls under the Department of the Interior. Okay. So uh, I work for the Upper Colorado Region um, Bureau. So that would include like Flaming Gorge, Blue Mesa, San Juan, the Molinas. Um, you got several in Wyoming, and then. Uh, of course, uh, Lake Powell and Mead, you know, uh, Glen Canyon is our main office for the upper Colorado. So they're all power generation, um, dams. And so that's, that's where I'm working now is I'm just a mechanic for the, the bureau at their smallest. We got two plants. They're the, they're the Molinas and they're the two smallest units the bureau has, but it's kind of fun there, right here by the house. Yeah, that's can't beat a short commute. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's nice. So then let's let's jump back into into the wheeling. Um, you, uh, the Toyota, the Forerunner. Yeah. And then, uh, who did you? Uh, who were you wheeling with back then? So I got I got a. I got into wheeling with some some of the the, the best crawlers in the country. Um, so uh, addicted off road put on uh, uh, what they call the to- to- Colorado Toyota Jamboree every year, and I don't know, it was about 2010, I guess. Um, I I was doing a lot of local wheeling, but I wasn't traveling, and uh, I got an invite, and I, I went over to Buena Vista. And uh, went wheeling with these guys, and they were all Toyota based, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I met some really good guys, like uh, Michael Bresni was there, and Corey um, Pavgani's there. So some really, you know, today, I mean, these are hardcore wheeling guys, probably wheel more than anybody in the country. Yeah, Jason Crick and. Oh, his crew, they were, they were all there. So it was really cool to meet those guys, found out some of them lived closer than I, I thought they did. And so I was wheeling a lot with these guys. And, uh, the second year I went, uh, I had built a shop buggy. And so, um, I'm sure you remember the top, top truck challenge, right? Yep. Hollister sure Hills, California. Well, I've been what well, I've been reading their magazine for years and I decided I wanted to to build a buggy to go there cuz in 2011 they had, they let buggies in and they were kicking butt and it was awesome. And so I decided to spend some of my shop money and uh, some of my own personal money I guess, but I built a big giant tube chassis buggy. <laughs> And uh, in 2012, they said no more buggies in the in the competition. Great. So, 
So I never, I never even got to go in the magazine or anything, but, uh, I've got a, I still have my buggy. It's, it's my recreational buggy that I steel wheel, uh, around here and, and whatever, but it's a big buggy. It's, uh, it's on Unimog 404 axles, front and rear steer, uh, Atlas four. It's a twin turbo, small block Chevy. And, twin uh, wow. Twin yeah, it's, uh, they're not compound. They're, uh, each bank sequential okay and um run i don't run a lot of boost running about 12 pounds of boost uh and uh it run it runs good um it's on 49s it's four lane to oris uh it's just a fun fun rig it was a, a purpose-built rig that i never got to see its purpose uh one of these days i'm going to try to make it up to the to the west northwest and jump in some of those big rowdy competitions they have up there but uh there you go That's but yeah it's, uh, it, i just wheel it around here i i throw the 42s on it when i'm going to play in the slick rock and i'm just rolling around in the canyons around here whatever i'll leave the 49s on there and and uh it does good in the big stuff what it doesn't do good is in the tight stuff it's uh it's long 120 inch wheelbase and um Unimog axles wild. have great yeah. steering angles. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's fun. I enjoy it. Um and so anyway, I'll tell you a, a really a really unique story and it's uh um comes from the 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 second year I was down there at the the Jamboree. We were all lining up and uh we you know Herding Toyota guys is like herding cats. And uh, so we're all scrambling, trying to trying to get in line, get ready to run Carnage Canyon. And this this old man, he uh he he pulls up behind us in this tube chassis with part of a Jeep frame and you know, no hood, so we could tell it had an LS in it. And this uh this this, this crazy old man's wearing a World War II uh helmet you know, military helmet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he he's like, is this, he goes, is it, is this carnage Canyon? Uh, yeah. He's like, well, I've never been here. You mind if I run with you? Sure. Sure. And I, with the accent and, you're given, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Go ahead. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, well, my name's Russell. And he's like, Oh, my name's Charlie. And I don't give a hoot. <laughs> and that was the first time I met Charlie Vaca and uh, he wheeled with us all day and he was a riot and uh, we were uh, climbing the exit and uh, you know we all went up the main line and some guys made it some winch whatever we we were getting up there and he was the last one and I think he just it's just in his nature he has to do one better and uh, so he's climbing the 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 face to the far left of the exit it's just a vertical wall and he's getting up there and his front tires are lifting really bad like he's he's in a bad shape so he stops and we think he's just gonna go around he's like can you guys pull my winch up there <laughs> so we pull the winch up there and he's i don't know he's four four and a half feet up this rock wall with his back tires and that winch line snapped and he went tumbling all the way down to the bottom that LS was bouncing off the rev limiter, slammed into the rock. He was doing a, a four-wheel drive burnout up against this rock ledge, and uh, he was knocked out cold. And 
It You're wasn't his first or his last. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't figure out how to shut this rig off. We're just, you know, pulling whatever we can find. Finally, some, someone uh, gets it shut off, and he's coming too, and he doesn't even know where he's at. And, and uh, you know, we've been best friends ever since. <laughs> but awesome. uh, he's he's been, uh, you know, probably more of a, a father uh, figure to me than, than you know, my, my own blood. Um, I've just, uh, been wheeling with him forever. And, uh, that's how I got into, uh, we rock. Good old Charlie. So, uh, talk about your first competition. Yeah. So, uh, see the first competition, uh, that I did was, uh, in Rangeley, Colorado, um, just running a sportsman B class and uh, we're running a little Toyota based buggy uh, truggy, I guess you could say really um, it was leaf sprung and just tubed out bed kind of thing. And we did all right. And uh, Jason Crick ended up winning uh, that, that class that year. And uh, I'd never, I'd never been to even watched a, a, a rock crawling event before that i just only done uh recreation wheeling and so when i heard uh rangely was coming it was going to be back the next year i uh i told charlie i was like hey you should come up for this this was really cool <laughs> you know and he did he brought this uh brand new buggy uh bit fabrication it just built him and uh, had his old ls and everything out of his old buggy in it and uh the second was his second course of the day. He was second course of the day in sportsman A class. He got up on this rock and I was spotting for him. And uh he uh he was he was pretty high centered and I told him to stop and I was gonna go to the other side and look at what his options were. And I, as soon as I turned my back, I heard the LS wind up. And next thing I know, he's on his lid down at the bottom. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, that was, that was, uh, the first experience there. Um, it was all good and we continued and, uh, you know, I ended up spotting for him for quite a while. And, uh, you know, we, we did, we did pretty good. Um, you know, we were always competitive, and then uh, that's why you while you were in there at Grand Junction, and then you moved. And then how long were you in uh, West Texas? I was in West Texas for about four and a half years, okay. five years. And so yeah, I was in uh, I was in West Texas, and uh, Charlie called me. He's like, "Hey, are you going down to Mason?" I said, "Yeah, uh, I was thinking about going and watching, you know, and." At this point, uh, he had been with uh, the Reeves for, I don't know, probably close to two years. Right. Um, and uh, everybody knows Jason Reeves is an excellent spotter and has the, the patience to go with it. Um, and he, he worked wonders with Mr. Charlie, but uh, he wasn't going to be able to make it. So Charlie's like, would you mind spotting me? So, yeah, of course I'll come down and spot you, you know. And so, uh, so I drove down to Mason about 
what, two hours, two and a half hours from Midland. And uh, I got there and the first person I saw was Jason. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I'm not spotty. <laughs> and uh, so we were at the, the driver's meeting that morning. And um, this little this little guy piped up in the back and said, hey, is, if anybody's not busy, I could really use a spotter. And I was like, you know, I drove down here to spot, so I volunteered, not not knowing who he was, what uh, what he, what rig he drove, what class he was in. I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll do it. Come find out, his name's uh, Steve Marcourt, and uh, he is a driver. And uh, so I've been spotting. Um, for for him ever since uh we ended up winning mason uh in sportsman a that year uh the one i met him and then we made it to two other events and won the east coast sportsman a uh the following year we i think it was following we got eastern eastern championship and second behind michael uh at the in cedar the championships and then uh last year um we decided to make a change uh we kind of been top of the sportsman a class in our opinion and uh he had been wheeling some really tough and technical trails uh just for fun and so we stepped up with the big boys last year and went into the unlimited class and uh we found out real quick what those guys are made of. <laughs> we we got beat up. We got beat up a little bit. Um, you know, if, uh, if if anybody knows uh, Steve McCourt, um, we we kind of go into every run as an underdog. Uh, you know, we're we're playing the uh, the pro level guys with a with a homemade rig and. We're running Toyota axles and a uh, transaxle buggy that has no disconnect. Right. So our we are so limited by turning radius that uh, you know I think a one ton truck might turn sharper. Yeah, and no dig. <laughs> no, no dig. Um, can unlock. You know the 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 best we do is we unlock the lockers. He does have air lockers. So we're able to unlock the lockers. Sometimes we can wedge. Uh, we, we play a lot of the uh, drag axle games, you know, wedge a tire into a rock and hope it pivots. Unlock the axle and just, you know, see if it'll it'll kind of burn or push itself around. Um, and, uh, you know, we're always testing the limits of those Toyota axles. Uh you know, it's a weak link and uh, and whatever. But uh, his buggy's super light. Um, he absolutely knows how to drive it. I uh, I love spotting for him. Uh, it's just I I don't know that I'd have any more fun if I was behind the wheel. I just I just love love watching him work and uh, and pointing him in the direction. And I feel like you know I'm I'm definitely a, a large part of that success. Um, you know, we just, uh, competed in Mason a few weeks ago and, uh, we got second and unlimited this year. And, uh, that was, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. And, 
I know uh, Skip was feeling our pressure there for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Skip's driving a, a portal car, you know, with uh, with all the all the weapons. You guys are bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, and uh, and we hold our own. I mean, I I know I know that the West Coast is a, a lot more technical, and and there's a lot of guys that spend a lot of hours in their buggies out there. Um, but uh, down there, we really we really did well. I uh, we were knocking out some of the lines that uh, you know other people weren't even making, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun to to watch watch him do that and. Uh, you know, I, um, people ask what it's like spotting and, uh, you know, you can go, you can go watch Trailbreaker and stuff and you can see some of these really well-known guys who struggle with lines and, 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 you know, they make it, um, but, uh, a spotter changes the game and I don't, a lot of guys I, I see, I see new spotters they're yelling they're saying hey turn this much do this do that and and i've always really just tried not to do that if i could give advice to other spotters that are starting out is put your faith in the driver um they are the driver they know their buggy they know their limits but feed them the information that lets them make the choices that they need to do I don't I don't tell Steve every little decision that he needs to make. I feed him the information of where his tires are at, what it looks like, what he, I think he needs to do. He makes the decision, he drives the car. Uh a perfect example was uh, uh A I think it was A3 was it no A A2 uh in Mason on day 2 there was this side where the bonus drop was and because we couldn't make the corner, we were coming into it at an angle and it was a pretty nasty four and a half, five foot drop with the left front. And he's already tipped up on this bank. To me, it looked like he was okay. I was feeding him the information. He got to a point and he, he, he told me, he's like, I don't like it. I didn't argue with him. I didn't say, oh, you're fine. Keep coming. Or no, just you're okay. Come on, just a little more. As soon as he told me I don't like it, I shifted my mindset to, okay, what's his options? And we turned the rear wheels. We took a one point backup and we cleared the bonus line. Right. And so, uh, so we really work in tune together. Um, and, uh, and I really, I really enjoy wheeling with him a lot. Yeah, I I noticed that there's a lot of different styles with spotters. <clears throat> some of the some of the best teams, you know, they in the old in the past were you know, they would tell their their spotters, "Don't don't tell me where to go. I'll tell you if you I need a rock stacked or I ask you where a cone is at." And then I see guys that, you know, that really drive the vehicle from outside the vehicle and then I see guys that work really well together and, you know, have that communication. Whether the, the driver is, is making the decisions or the spotter is, but it's, uh, you know, it's that good communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, but, as, a, uh, so as a spotter, 
I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Um, who do you think is one of the best spotters in the game right now? Uh, that's, that's an easy one for me. I think it's Jason Reeves. Okay. Very good. Um, definitely someone I look up to. Uh, he keeps his calm. He doesn't, uh, there's no, there's no argument in the radio. Um, keeps his calm. He makes, uh, decisions and, and even sometimes i've seen like why is he doing that no that's not the right line why is he doing that i'm thinking to myself from the other side of the rope you know and then all of a sudden there's a plan and you're like wow that that worked <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> you know and then uh you know not just what he does with jacob i mean his son uh you see a lot of father figure spotters and it doesn't generally work out so well but in in my opinion um but this one he just has this patience about him and he thinks thinks about you know the line the mission and he and he just they go out and they and they stick to their game plan but uh even more so what he's done with charlie um charlie's difficult to spot for because he can't hear and so you got a guy that can't hear and he's Charlie. He kind of just does his own thing most of the time. <laughs> but uh, but Jason just being able to uh, to go spot for Charlie and have to negotiate himself and do things in a certain way, and then run over to another course and spot for Jacob, and then just absolutely kill it on all. I, yeah, he's he's great. Awesome. And uh, where do you think uh, where do you think your t- your team, you and Steve, are gonna are gonna go in the future? Do you think you're gonna keep competing? I know he's in the military, so he's yeah, got you so, know. Yeah, he's he's got obligations. Um, not gonna let too much out of the bag, but uh, it sounds like his last duty station um, before he retires. And uh, that does say how how long he's been in there. <laughs> but uh, his last news station is probably going to be California. So uh, I will say that uh, he's probably coming for the West Coast guys. Uh, safe to say. I think he's probably going there next year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we're definitely going to keep competing. Uh, I'll spot for him as much as we can get around and, and make it to the events. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, you put him in the right rig and, uh, put me spotting him. I think we, we might, we might be able to, we might be able to do something. Cool. So what do you think is the most important aspect that, um, that makes a good spotter? Um, the two things, two things for me, really, I think the most important is patience. Um, you, you, you've you got so much going on. You're watching cones. You're trying to guide. You're trying not to fall and stumble and fall down the side of a hill. Trust me, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you got this clock. You know, you're calling out to the judges. You got you got this time you have to beat. 
And it's really easy to get wrapped up in the competitive side of things. You know, a lot of us are type A guys and, and we want to be the best and, and we're pushing ourselves. Um, but I think you have to have that patience and discipline to not let that bother you to just concentrate on on what you're doing at the moment uh it's one gate at a time you can't uh you you can't let all that other stuff uh bug you it's always going to be there it's always going to be in the back of your head you know but uh i think patience is a is a virtue of a spotter and then uh have fun you know um it's easy to get caught up in that competitiveness and 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 take it too seriously. And I know I know in the pro level, these guys they're making money off, you know, at the end of the day, people are buying their chassis, they're they're buying their parts because of how well they perform. Um, so they have that extra that extra drive to do better. But uh, you know, at any time that it becomes a job and it's not fun for me, that's probably when I'll when I'll step out. Um I just enjoy every minute on the rocks and uh yeah, I think I think you have to have to keep it that way. I agree. I really agree. So then what if what would you tell a guy that is looking to be a spotter the first time? Say he's gonna come out with his buddy, both of them are brand new. What do you think is the first thing they should do? Um that's a great question. There's <laughs> first the first thing is you just got to come do it. Just get out there and do it. Um, don't don't worry about placing. Don't worry about you know his rig isn't that good or you know the money. Just just come do it. Have a good time. I guarantee you'll be hooked. And uh, and then it's, it's just on from there. But as far as the spotter. Uh, the first thing you need to do is walk the courses with your driver, hang out with your driver. If you're able to, before a competition, you know, go wheeling with them, spend as much time learning the rig and the driver. But, uh, I think if you're just coming into competition, maybe you don't know the driver and you just volunteer, um, walk the courses, uh, we enter almost every course with a game plan. Not almost. We enter every single course with a game plan. Except for when Cam spends five minutes rearranging the course and then, you know. <laughs> Cameron Beasley, yes. <laughs> but uh, um, walk the course, talk. You know, the, the driver's going to have ideas of what his rig can do, and, and you can get ideas of what he thinks he's capable of doing. And uh, most importantly, just go have fun. Just do it. There's, there's no, you know, way that you're. Uh, what am I trying to say here? You're, you're never gonna know how much fun it is, I guess, or what you're capable of if you don't ever try it. Right. So that's kind of the. Uh, that's kind of the same lesson that Skip Scott was talking about. Yeah, I mean, Skip started last year. I was at his first competition. We competed against him last year, and, uh, you know, he'd never been in a competition. He had very little to no seat time. He had an awesome buggy, but had hardly any seat time in it. 
he did all right. He did pretty good, you know. And then he came back this year after a we a year of wheeling and setting up his own cones. You know, that's what people don't understand is when you you make it up an obstacle, you go drive an obstacle, and, and it's cool. Now put two cones in the most inconvenient spot and climb that same obstacle. It's not the same. <laughs> the most inconvenient so, spot. What are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and you, and you see it, the pro levels. I've seen uh, videos of Jesse Haynes out there with cones and just driving them. Um, you know, uh, one of the best rock crawlers I think that we have right now, Dave Wong, you know, he's out there in San Hollow playing all the time, but he's not he's not doing the the normal lines. He's thinking outside of the box, like where are they gonna stick these damn cones? You know? <laughs> and uh, and he's doing these unbelievable lines out there and just crazy stuff and uh and that's the mindset that you know you have to do and and get used to 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 be competitive in the in the bigger classes and uh so uh you know, um, 10 years ago, eight years ago, whatever, when Ultra 4 really hit, you know, our, our sport kind of took a backseat for a while. And I'm really excited of where it's come in the last four, five years. Uh, you know, it's really blown up. There's way more competitors at just about every event. There's more people coming back to the sport. And it's uh, it's really exciting, especially when you got you know, fabricators like Jesse who are, are changing the game of rock crawling and, uh, you know, Caleb, you know, chassis too. There, there's, these guys are pushing the limits of what these rigs can do. And, um, it's really exciting. I agree. Absolutely. I'm almost, I'm almost sad that I'm getting too old to be setting up courses anymore. That's the that's the fun part. Now Jake can do it, and you can just sit back and watch. Yeah, now I just get to <laughs> deal with all the the drivers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay though. That's uh, it makes that after Mason. It was really nice to have to not be completely worn out on Sunday Saturday morning from setting everything up, and then you know come Sunday night, you know I was still, you know. I I felt good. I didn't feel like I'd been run over by a truck. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I I I did feel like I had been run over by a truck after Mason. <laughs> but uh... yeah. that the courses were were interesting. There was uh you know Jake had opened up a lot uh, all new areas and uh a lot of brush cut, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff cleared and the one thing that happens with those kind of courses is that, you know, you don't know what's going to move, you know, and until it's been driven on a couple of times and starts to settle out and everything moved, you know, and it's it's stuff that I didn't think even would move. Um, There was stuff that was moving. So I think it was a good lesson for Jake as well, getting an idea of not only where to get cone placement, but to think about, you know, okay, now if that moves, how am I going to replace that cone in the right spot? You know, right. that's, that's one of the things that, that's why I'm still sticking around, of course, is, you know, to make sure that, that he has a successful start to to taking over We Rock so that, uh, you know, the events are still, you know, there's no, there's no lapse. There's no, you know, slack in uh, in what's happening. 
want to keep the continuity. Of course, it's up to him what he decides to do with it. You know, he can wholesale change the rules or whatever he wants to do, designs, anything, you know, because it, he's the future. But uh, yeah. he know, did a great job. I thought so. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I, I really, uh, the, the course is, uh, I didn't think they were too much different in the way they were set up compared to what we're used to. Uh, other than I felt his were bigger. The obstacles were bigger, had a more of a, uh, uh, presence to them, I guess. More of a nationals feel. Yeah. More of a nationals feel where yours are, were more technical, uh, in the past. Um, but, uh, it was familiar, and uh, I think he did a great job. Uh, like you said, a lot of rocks really moved. I watched Skip move like a, a VW size rock off the edge, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, there was uh, there was plenty of of rock movement there, and it definitely changed the course, especially on day two. Um, you know, like I said, we always go in with a game plan, and then uh, when the guy before you moves a rock or things, you you got to really think on the fly and. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it don't, but uh, it's always fun. So then you're going to be, you guys have a, a um, an idea of coming west? Is he, is, is Steve going to try to do one or two of the Western events? Not, not this year. Okay. So uh, him and I will both be in Cedar. He's actually going to be spotting himself for a uh, skip. Oh, um he's not he's he's gonna fly in and spot for skip at cedar i'll be there uh whatever whatever jake needs me to do i guess but i'll be there to uh watch or root on or uh help out whatever i need and then uh we're not gonna make any of the western events ourselves as far as wheeling um next year once he gets transferred to california uh i believe that that will probably be a full hopefully be a full season for us uh, makes it a little easier for me it's easier for me to get to all that kind of stuff in the west um but he is making uh glinco um so we plan on uh doing glinco and tennessee is uh, a huge possibility as well excellent excellent and have you been to tennessee uh that's the one i haven't been to uh have not made it all the way down there that's that's an interesting event site with it being a night event um under the lights. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh everybody says it's it's a lot of fun down there. Um I don't know, fat boys and heat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we do them at night. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we don't get started until like 7 7:30 and then uh work our way into the evening and you know done by midnight or so. And uh, it makes it a lot more pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, Tennessee's uh, a maybe for me, probably for him. And then I think we're both going to make Glencoe. And then uh, I said we'll be in Cedar next week or two weeks, whatever. Here here very shortly. Yeah, very shortly. Uh, um, but he'll be with us and I'll just be watching. And then uh, – I I will make I'll make Rangeley, kind of hoping that maybe I'll be competing myself in Sportsman A. Oh, that'd be cool. So we'll see how that goes. Excellent. 
So what's so. on the future for you? Just uh, more kids? Um, no, no more kids. No more kids. We're done. This is it. That's Two it. is good. I got a boy. I got a girl. Get experience both sides. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm working on something. You know, um, starting a new career is never easy. Uh, you know, bottom of the totem pole. Um, so I'm getting that figured out, getting, getting life straight, but I am, uh, working on a little something. I, uh, found out in Mason that, uh, uh, someone else is working on the, uh, the same project, but, uh, I am trying to build a electric, um, buggy. Cool. Um, I don't know where Jake is on his, but I have chassis. Uh, I've been working with an EV company trying to figure out power plants. Mine is not going to be a traditional electric vehicle, like a Tesla or or something. I'm going to use traditional drivetrain powered by an electric motor. Okay. So basically, I'm doing an adapter plate to a traditional transmission running a T case and, and standard axles. Interesting. So right now it's a matter of, uh, trying to figure out the converter and batteries. Batteries are the big one. How many batteries do I really need? How fast can I charge them in between rounds? Um, I don't want all that weight, but I need enough to, you know, if I have to go straight from one course to the next course, I don't want to run out of battery in the middle of the course, you know? Right. So, so where's that, where's that line? Where's that at? Um, I may be a little underpowered. Maybe I'll have to get more power later on, but I'm going in the lower horsepower range. Um, just cause I feel it's going to be gearing and weight that make the buggy better, not the, uh, wheel, you know, the, the actual horsepower, and the electric motor has so much torque. Right. So, so uh, yeah, we're playing around with that. Uh, still haven't uh, done axles or anything like that. I'm at the pre-beginning stages. So, um, working on that and seeing uh, where that's going to take me. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, anything that uh, – anything else you can think about? Any stories about some of the guys you've wheeled with or – at competitions oh there's there's so many stories i don't i don't even know where to start but uh <laughs> probably some of them shouldn't be discussed <laughs> oh come on <laughs> no i agree <laughs> uh you know uh i've i've had the pleasure of wheeling with uh some really good guys you know um you know when i was first getting into the buggies i met kevin carroll um, this was before he had the red dot buggy and, uh, got to, uh, to meet him and, and spend a little bit of time with him and, and, you know, and then his, his company blew up and he got me into aviation, uh, became a pilot and, uh, um, I'm happy that I, you know, got to know him, call him a friend, uh, I've, you know, some of the other guys I wheel with are the guys, I would say my friends are the guys you see on the internet who are wheeling almost every weekend. I don't think, uh, I don't think anyone wheels harder than some of, 
some of my really dearest friends. And, uh, so, um, I've, I've just been blessed that I can, uh, hang out with these guys and they're always pushing me and I'm pushing them. And, and, uh, I, I really truly believe that you're only as good as the people you hang out with. And, uh, that's in all aspects of life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I agree. Yeah. It's like the, the thing that they say, you know, it's like, look around and see who you're, you're the people you're with. If they're all successful in business, more, more than likely you're going to be as well. If you're hanging out with a bunch of drug dealers, well, or druggies, well, guess what? So I think the same thing happens with the wheeling. If you're hanging out with the guys that are going big, you know, it more than likely you're going to be going big too. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, so yeah. Um, future looks bright. You know, I'm spending a lot of time with my family. I know it's probably going to take away from wheeling a little bit while they're young, but, uh, we'll be back and, uh, and, uh, you know, we have big plans and, you know, my son, he's just a little guy now, but he, he really likes getting out and maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll see a little like of battles in the, in the ranks here pretty soon. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be great. Get him into a little kid's buggy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, excellent. Russell, I want to say thank you so much for coming on, spending some time and talking about rock crawling, talking about, yep. uh, you know, your life and uh, the plans you guys have for the future. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. It was a a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you at the event. All right. Thanks, Rich. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Big Rich. Please let your friends know about this podcast. Let us know what you think of Conversations with Big Rich. Please forward ideas to me contacts of those that I should attempt to interview, leave a rating on any of the services you found us on. We look forward to your comments and ideas. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and grab all the gusto you can.